Honored recruits, it is my formal and important pleasure to introduce you to your new responsibilities as members of the Kataral Kataral Space Dynasty. I, I just want to speak on behalf of all the recruits. Thank you so much, Grandmaster, for, for allowing us into this wonderful organization. Uh, I don't need to tell you the abbreviation is so much more elegant. Um, I, I, I'm just so proud and happy to be introduced into this beautific empire. Roger, Roger, yes, you are, you are welcome, you're welcome. Y yes, we pride ourselves on the efficiency of the proud warrior race, where we would not deign to say the word in its entirety when we can just abbreviate it as Katarl. It fits much nicer on the keyboard, and we are nothing if not efficient and rigorous and unwilling to spend excess effort on things that don't need to be done in excessitude. And, and if I may say so, it is a big hit with uh, the youth among us that you respect the irony of the fact that abbreviating it as Kataro uh, is actually harder to say than the original. You may say so. In fact, I would appreciate it if you said it twice. Uh, yes, I have read the bylaws. I, I'll, I'll say it again right now. It is Thank actually you. longer to say, even though it is an abbreviation. Yes. It is also absolutely necessary in order to make it a cohesive whole. Uh, alt of course, and Dell, of course. These are holy precepts, holy abbreviations that we would not deign to disregard. Indeed, and, and I, if I may say, our warring clan, the, the, the ones of whose name we do not speak. We do not speak, we do not speak of them. I don't even want to speak further on them, it's just that uh, I'm proud to be part of this, this great conquesting empire. Uh, and soon we will have control over all the galaxy. Yep. Uh, no, I, I, I meant Katara. We'll have Katara over the entire galaxy. I, we'll I, have Katara over your head. But please forgive me, Grandmaster. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's fine. Did you have anything better? No, of course you I didn't. I thought I thought that we could do like a summary monologue of all the exposition that should happen during the episode, but instead well, like they Big put o? it at the beginning of the next episode. That's a well with no bottom, Zane. We're dealing with a... Look, it, that's... It, when, when you deal with mech anime that is lightly tinged with mature themes and it's in space, no. Like, it, it's too many proper nouns. There's there's no where... There's no... there's a, It's a well with no bottom. You, you just have to accept it. Alternatively, I thought we could play up like the, you know, Gene and Jim, their relationship. Like, I try to provide world building exposition. You're like, I don't care. <laughs> Some of us have to tell jokes for a living, Jim. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, this is, um, yeah, that Kataro thing is, is definitely going to be a, a worthy discussion. I it had to look it up. I, I thought it was Kataro. Oh, really? No. Kataro, I, Kataro that's is how I, I always heard it. <laughs> Because of your love of ham taro. Yeah, well, you know, they're so and adorable. And taro tea. That's a good flavor. Then it's ham taro time. Let's get down to brass tacks. Oh, sorry, I meant to get down to brass tacks on taro time. Welcome, everyone. My name is Ben. My name is Zane. And this is the Kataro Kataro Empire. No, no, no. <laughs>
that's a good voice acting thing, right? That's uh, the way I'm supposed to be a voice actor for early <laughs> for early English dubs. You need uh, more commas, and we need to cut you off like halfway through a word. Uh, and this is the Carton Cast. Uh, we review old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. And today, mm. Zane, what are we doing? Today we are talking about Outlaw Star as the future hero next generation Carton Cast. Yes, I'm going to clip in Cowboy Bebop theme throughout it, just in case that everybody, every, everybody who doesn't know, this was basically, this was released in the same year as Cowboy Bebop, and there is a lot of similarities, <laughs> to the point of which I'd be surprised if people knew this who did not know Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, it seems unlikely. Honestly, this felt a lot more like One Piece in Space than uh, Cowboy Bebop. It, it had, I mean, like, the whole treasure-seeking thing made me think Treasure Planet. There's, uh -huh. I mean, there's a, a number of different, like, sci-fi, fantasy, epic kind of adventure things that it could fit into. But uh, let's talk about the, let's talk about the anime. So, as you said, Star Wars, Star Wars Warrior Knight Outlaw Star is apparently... <laughs> is how it ran in Japan, yeah. Uh, it ran in 1998 on TV Tokyo. And uh, but in the U.S. it ran on Toonami in 2001 as future hero next generation outlaw star, um, great or just outlaw star. And great it and was cool. Based, it was based on the manga, which ran from 96 to 99 in Ultra Jump, and then was turned into an anime by Madman Entertainment. Love Madman. And yeah, Man. this was during this was during the time of Bebop. This was during the time of all the big 90s anime series, and this is perhaps among one of the 90s. It's pretty 90s. It's like there's a lot of rough edges of we are a anime and it's a good one, but we don't yet have the quality uh we don't we don't yet have the quality control in distribution centers to like get quality voice actors for everything and some of the dubbing is um the, like the pacing is weird. Like there's a lot of like empty space that oh, owes man. to the fact that uh that, that they didn't have as much money going into this as maybe they could have. There's so much about this show that just kind of defies my ability to describe it. I, I had a really hard time engaging with this show. Let's leave it as, as rough around the edges for the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like as you said, uh, this was uh, a Japanese uh, manga first, produced as an anime, and then dubbed by Sunrise Entertainment, which we've dealt with many times before. Mm -hmm. In general, I think that they do a better dubbing job than this, but they were one of the first, and, and you know, you can you can kind of give it somewhat of a pass. You know, our, our constant metric of grade things on their own metrics, it's difficult because, as I said, Cowboy Bebop came out the same year and is far superior in terms of at least its dubbing quality. We can talk about the content of the story later, mm -hmm. but like, it's definitely a rough dub um, in parts. Like parts are fine, but it, it is it is a little bit a uh, little bit unwieldy. But yes. like Cowboy Bebop, it is a space western, and there's part of that that's always going to appeal to me. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I can understand what the appeal is of this show you know it's it's clearly drawing from a lot of interesting sources it's doing things in a way that a lot of other things don't but there is um there are some problems with the bones of it and i think one of my biggest issues uh, just kind of looking at it as a whole is there are plot things exposition background world building and then there is the action of the show and the two things are barely related. 
that that is true that it, it is it is difficult for them to play together in the same sandbox so like i i was trying to write an overview of the plot you know just a quick summation so that the audience could understand what we're talking about when we're talking about the show and i realized i wrote a paragraph almost none of it matters it's, and almost none of it actually is shown on on screen. <laughs> so, so to uh, to get into your point, um, this is one of those shows where the overarching plot and the um, the minutia, like the micro transactions mm-hmm. of each episode, there are some arcs that the episodes kind of pull toward that macro plot, and there are some episodes that are like one off nonsense episodes. Yeah. And they're really, really different in their construction and their utility. But to give give everyone a primer, uh, Outlaw Star is a story about renegade, badass, you know, uh, fighters. Bounty hunters. We're bounty, bounty hunters. He's a bounty hunter, Gene Starwind, and his ragtag crew of uh, weirdos. Basically, they're hunting for the One Piece in space. Yeah, and, the galactic ley line. But they're also just Which trying to get Which, as of five. halfway through the show, they still don't know what it is. Don't know what it is. I'm, like, at episode 18, I was watching a lot of it in the background, and they keep talking about it without, like, I think they mention at one point that it's either a treasure or a portal, and that's it. That's all, that's all we've gotten in 15 episodes. But mm-hmm. th- the point is, there's an overarching plot that they're trying to get toward the galactic ley line to either for treasure or for some great wish or to figure out what the fuck Melfina is. And, uh, but, but that is, that overarching plot just doesn't get commented on a lot. Like, it's all about the journey. It's never about the destination. And sometimes it's not even about the journey. It's just about, like, putting food on the table. Like, a lot of their day-to-day is, ah, Gene, you know, like, we really need to make some scratch. Like, let's go, um, hunt this psychic cactus. <laughs> so like it, it doesn't always play nicely with the overarching plot, which I think is what you are, what you're what you're rubbing up against. Well, it's also like, so I'm thinking in terms of like Star Wars, right? Mm. Where you have this big universe, and you can have big or small stories happening in it, and both are interesting. But what you don't have is, oh, we have this amazing ship or this amazing weapon or whatever that's one of a kind. It's the best in the universe. And then using that, we're going to do, the, like, the normal, standard, like, Monster of the Week type stuff. Yeah, it, that, it, That's where it broke down to me. It's a little lopsided in terms of what they can do and what they decide to do. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in something like One Piece, their their boat is not that, like, magnificent or, or extravagant, right? They, they right. are extraordinary people, and so then maybe they have a better shot of finding the One Piece, but even in that, we, we don't get a lot of side content about, well, I mean, we do have a lot of filler, but they're not just spending episodes trying to put food on the table. It's well, it's a different attitude, I guess. Also, like, why are they trying to put food on the table? You have this amazing ship that can be controlled via mind waves, and you have, in, like, three out of five people on your crew are some of the best assassins ever seen like why are you having trouble <laughs> uh, and you know it's like a cactus man that's a really good point and i think the thing to remember is not that it, it is not logically motivated this story mm-hmm. is not logically motivated they tell you what you need to know and they lead you around by the hand and i don't inherently have 
a problem with that. Well, if I can bring something different to mind, sure. uh, Full Metal Panic was a show that I greatly enjoyed when it first came out and when I was watching it. The first season is this really neat um, militaristic kind of setting uh, mech battle thing. The second season is more of that, and the interstitial season is all like pratfall, you know, sauna episode, bottle episodes at the beach kind of shit. Mm-hmm. And they both work in isolation, but I I vastly, I vastly prefer one to the other. Sure. And I think the other place where this falls down in regards to that is because, you know, they do jump between those things um, and they kind of don't explain which level we're on at a given time. I just watched an episode where they're having a duel with one of the McDougal brothers, which like, we're just supposed to know who those are. They're just some dudes. They're just some dudes. Um, and the duel takes place, one, at a distance using our spaceships, which, okay, that makes sense. Um, two, up close with the spaceships punching each other. And three, we've boarded the spaceship and we're having a shootout on your spaceship. And I don't know how tense any of those are supposed to be. I don't know how common any of those avenues are. Um, I, my understanding is that later on in the series, Gene gets some sort of, like, magic gun. I don't know how important that is. He starts out with a magic gun. I've never seen him use it. It's in the first couple episodes. It's called a caster. Yeah, I I must have missed them ever talking about that. It's sort of like his trump card. It's like, so, that, that, that is I, maybe... I'll be honest. This show was very hard for me to, like, pay attention to. I, it, was, it was as well for me... And I think I'm a little bit more accepting of the fact that it's like it's hard to grapple with, maybe to to use a weird term. Mm-hmm. But like, um, I didn't dislike it. I just couldn't really focus on it. And I see where they're going with a lot of it. But to your point of like, I don't know which parts of the plot are necessary to watch. I don't know what magic is. I don't know how common these space duels are. I don't know why they need to put together scratch to get by. Like. These are all world-building details that they don't focus on, is the minutia. They, right. they kind of focus on the broader environmental storytelling of this is where Gene spends his free time, in bars, in casinos. You know, that, that is all, mm-hmm. like, personalizing detail. But we don't actually know kind of how he gets by. And yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard I mean, time dis- describing it, too, No, as you can I think see. I know. So, like, a lot of times when they don't, explicitly tell you world building stuff they will make it clear they will convey it using whatever scope they're they happen to be working with that doesn't happen here instead like you say we see the character we see the places he's in it's a very present show you're always in the present in this show but all that other stuff matters if you want to try and understand like what's going on in a greater context and rather than like fill some of the a lot of dead time in the episode, they just put a big exposition dump at the beginning of each episode, and it just yeah. feels very unrelated. They, they do feel unrelated, and uh, in all honesty, I think that this st- this show starts off very strong because it's like a four episode story arc, and then it just slows to a dead halt because it starts doing the uh, the 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 the, uh, the interstitial season from. Uh, from Full Metal Panic, like I had already stated, like it it mm-hmm. it doesn't commit to being a serious arc driven, plot driven, cool series, 
and it doesn't commit to being a series of kind of one-offs day in the life of stuff like Cowboy Bebop does. It kind of tries to have both because Cowboy Bebop did that too. It it certainly hinted at a past for Spike and you know in this sim uh, this uh, syndicate organization. And the mm-hmm. fact that he used to be like a, like a criminal bad guy of some sort, and he became a bounty hunter to kind of escape sure. that. This woman named Julia. There's like a, a lot of background detail, but it doesn't try to do the same thing of have its plot cake and also have be able to eat the um, the one-off storytelling episode kind of format that Cowboy Bebop thrives on. It tries mm-hmm. to do both, and I think it probably should have just picked do the story stuff because I found that more interesting. And I think this might have hit better as a show if you weren't as familiar with all the stuff that came after it. Because, like, Space Western, yeah, oh, sounds cool, very creative. But it's kind of played out at, at this point. Cow- Cowboy Bebop is unfortunately, like, a very unflattering comparison to give. <laughs> and and it's, it's, an impossible, it's impossible not to make that comparison. So we're, mm-hmm. we're starting off on a down foot here. Let's try to recenter and, like... See what we can pick apart this that from from this that is good because I does yeah. I do think that it has a lot of value in it like I think it's very inventive in certain ways and a lot of the characterization is pretty pretty subtle. Yeah, we we can talk about the things that it does well just in the background. No, one it's stuff I've seen before, and two I barely understood what was going on. Yeah, that 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 is fair, and like I think a lot of the problem is just its storytelling is haphazard. Yeah, read a plot summary of the episode before or after you watch it. Or just don't care about the plot. Those are both viable. Like, I think I but watched a just, lot of it. And it's just pretty colors and no action for five seconds at a time. Like, mm-hmm. no movements between the frames. Well, I watched it in the background. And just, like, every time I turned back, there was, like, you know, people sitting at a dingy bar with really colorful lights and, like, this strong nightlife thing. And then there's a, you know, naked woman in a tank and telepathically telling uh, telling a robot butler how to, like, control the ship. And, like, a lot of weird little details that do if you don't look at it if you're not trying to make sense of it you get mm-hmm. you you do start to feel the environment kind of push yeah. at you it, it's not a it's not a story it's a series of feelings it's sort of like maybe maybe kind of like a samurai jack approach to storytelling where the, the point is not you know specific when what why where how's but just like the just just the just the setting yeah. and the feeling of it kind of drives it home for you because a lot of this series, what it does well, is it's very good at environmental storytelling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and to, like yeah, go ahead to talk about that a little bit. Um, back to the Treasure Planet re- uh, uh, comparison, the construction of its setting is some traditional kind of Chinese, you know, nightlife elements. A lot of the a lot of the garb, especially Suzuka, is like a mm-hmm. kind of Chinese throwback. There's like hanging lanterns of lights and stuff like that. I've, I've, there's definite elements of um, Chinese traditionality in this, but like that seventy thirty rule of make seventy percent of it futuristic, thirty percent of it old school. They neatly balance that with some really fucking crazy sci-fi elements like space wizards or grappler ships. In a way that makes it feel kind of like this composite, this He-Man-esque Magitech society where, no, you don't know everything. No, there's not nothing to connect with. But it's it's just that it's just that strange to kind of give it like this little twist of steampunky sort of flavor that mm-hmm. makes it engaging if you don't try to swallow it whole. I guess is my point. And we saw similar things. You know, the the hand-to-hand space combat we saw in Gundam Wing. 
Um, and there it was over-explained, right? Um, it was over-explained, and it was also, like, more down-to-earth. This is goofy. This is straight-up silly. Yeah, it's it's weird. I, I didn't quite know what they wanted me to feel about that. It's Yeah, it, it feels like they're trying to get me to laugh and also cry all the time. Hmm. Uh, and, and they don't quite commit to either one. So I, let's talk about the characters, because... This is very, like we said, setting forward and character forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I did really like once we had everyone together and there was a situation and they now have to react to it and to each other. That's very good. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is like, you know, we've, we've got a core set of like five characters. They don't all come together for like half the show. Yeah, this I, is. I, I was uh... very surprised. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I, well, I mean, that's the part of the kind of plot-oriented nature of this that caught me by surprise, and not in a bad way. Like, they have a decoy protagonist, and they have a lot of heel-face turns for, you know, they were our enemies, I've bested them, now they're my friends, classic mm-hmm. anime shonen fair. Um, our main character is Gene Starwind, voiced in the English dub by Bob Buchholz. I don't know if you watch the dub or the sub. I watch the dub. I watch the dub as well, which is middling. Um, apparently Bob Buchholz uh, would eventually go on to found Spliced Bread Productions. I don't Good know name. what they do. It is a great name. <laughs> what do you um, think about Gene? Uh, you know, again, you're gonna, you gotta compare it unfavorably to Cowboy Bebop. It's, it's hard not to. But, like, this character, in theory, is interesting, right? I, I it, found him interesting in practice. Okay, t- tell me what you liked about him, because to me, he just seemed like, oh, you're very laid back, you don't really, ca- like, how do you, how do you in a space setting be terrified of going into space, but also kind of not figure out your deal at home either? I, I like, can explain is, all of I took a lot of, I could, what is his goal? Well, what I drives got a, him? I got a lot from this character because I, I really grappled with that exact question. It's like, it seems to be he's living by the seat of his pants, kind of Lupin territory, just like, you know, uh, make things up as he goes along, always go for the big score, never settle. But he's also paralyzed by fear of the unknown. And what this meant to me, it, part of the plot is that his dad died um, early on in his pilot training days and that Mm -hmm. made him scared of space right sure however he's a bounty hunter he needs to go to space the plot involves going to the galactic ley line that's some space stuff like that's the most space that is the most spaced (laughs) it is uh it's something that he has to overcome through the progression of the story and what i thought his character was all about is how a lack of security prevents you from prevents you from uh, grappling with your freedoms. So he does have, like, financial and transportational freedom, nothing tying him down. His job allows him to go wherever he wants. But at the outset of the story, he doesn't feel secure. He is scared of that original kind of childhood trauma, and he's scared of his place in the world he you know goes to a call girl for sort for a source of comfort after taking a job that almost kills him like there's a lot of little details that show this is a scared child of an adult yeah that's an interesting look at it i i, I did see the fear i interpreted it as a, uh, as a death wish like he's putting himself into dangerous situations because 
he knows sooner or later he will be forced to go into space and this way you know, oh i died sorry can't overcome my fears too busy i think it's more of a you know people are complex this character can have two sides he can both crave the freedom of space and also be scared of it because he doesn't have any security and i think you know there's a there's a point halfway through the series where he comes up against really difficult odds and he has to depend on the strength of his bonds with his crew in order to come out ahead of it i think the story is mostly about him grappling at the outset of not having the security in his relationships to feel like he doesn't have an anchor he he's not grounded right mm-hmm. so he spends all his money he always goes for the big score he's not prudent in any of his decisions and he listens to his gut more far more than he should i think the story is about him finding security in a new family that he you know kind of kind of scouts out for himself yeah, he, he finds a life outside of himself, and the death wish kind of goes away. Yeah, yeah. So I that's what I got from it, was this overarching theme of the discrepancy between security and freedom. Like, you you can't just have freedom. The security is necessary for you to be able to feel secure enough. It, it ha- You have to be tethered to something. I can definitely see that reading of it now. I don't think I would have co- figured it out on my own. Like, that would have been a big projection on my part. I had to breach a little bit, but uh, it came across because I was um, I was comparing him to his alter ego, or his uh, the, the ego to his id, which is his partner, Jim Hawking. Yeah, this is this here's your, your buddy who's, uh, oh, come on, man, we gotta, we gotta be serious. We really gotta straighten up and fly right right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's 11. Yeah, um, well, he has to be the adult because no one else is going to be. I really, I was really interested in this pairing because it it feels like they were both parentally abandoned at some in some in some capacity, and they and had completely different responses. Exactly, and in playing into that security freedom theme is that he doesn't embrace that philosophy that Gene has of hey, don't go for the small sure thing, go for the large you know question mark because it's uh i believe in us and we should do it he's the prudent one he's the planner he's the one who always kind of pulls him back from the brink it's mm-hmm. a good push and pull i like the dynamic and i really like the fact that they're both informed by what i assume is parental abandonment because let's be honest why why is he allowed to hang out with gene yeah like like what happened in his, i don't know anything about him and that just Jim's makes, perspective is yeah. like we're both broken let's try to fix some of this and gene is like if i keep breaking myself i'll become dust and i can like just go away on the wind yeah it, it, he he kind of i think i don't know if either of them realize it but they are they are adhering to each other as a uh, you know kind of as that push and pull i was talking about jim mm-hmm. grounds him and gene kind of pushes him forward yeah they they need each other they need to see that opposite response mm-hmm. uh you know, just as like a, a buoy to set themselves, like, what's the word? Um, to locate in relation to? What's the word for that? Um, locate in relation to. Like, you know where you are because you know where that is. Orient? Orient, yeah. To yeah, orient they orient yourself. themselves against each other. That's true, yeah. And I think that relationship is power, more powerful than either of the characters is. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't to say I didn't like Gene on his own, because I think... I think I do. Uh, he's okay. <laughs> he, he's no, he's, he's, I don't know. It, it, it read to me pretty good. And I think the D it's got decent voice acting, mm-hmm. even though it occasionally comes off kind of wooden. 
Oh, man, is it ever wooden? Yeah. Um, can I talk about a person whom I thought was going to be a big, bigger character and was upset that they weren't? Oh, you mean Hilda? Hot Ice Hilda? Yeah, like, oh, these first few episodes, let's build up this mythology of someone who just goes away. Yeah, let's, this is the Obi-Wan figure of this universe. She is, you know, she's the one who kind of sets them on this course, who introduces them to Melfina, who is going to be their, you know, girlfriend slash robot computer that lives in a spaceship. Um, I I don't even know exactly what's going on there because I didn't see the finale and I don't give a shit. Guys... (laughs) Don't give a shit. That's the that's the primer for this show. Just don't give a shit. The the Hilda thing's really interesting because it really seems like I've spent my life pursuing this goal and acquiring these resources. Gene, here you go. And Gene's like, I have to fulfill a destiny now? Like, I can't fill those boots. <laughs> like and, I don't and wanna. Back, well back to the point of like I got my own boots. Back to the point of uh, you know, security and everything like that. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't want to because he's he's been burned, right? Mm-hmm. He's been burned by the parental abandonment, but he's forced to have some responsibility, and that gives him the wherewithal to express his freedom. So it all works in, in concert. Um, Hot Ice Hilda is the coolest person in the world. Uh, <laughs> she's voiced by Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, um, who is Nina from Tekken, which is fascinating, oh. and is also the coolest person in the known universe. <laughs> like... <laughs> She's got the eye patch. She's got the affect. She she looks like a cool pirate. Mm-hmm. In, in a show full of cool pirates, she is the most of it. Uh, and she dies like four episodes in. She's a decoy protagonist. I, I do want to say the conveyance in this show or just... I don't know if it's the show's fault or my fault because I couldn't keep attention to it. I didn't realize she died. I thought she just went away. Uh, I think you just didn't pay attention. She clearly fell into a star and then blew up. Yeah, that sounds important. <laughs> but it, I feel bad because like somebody probably really likes this show and is listening to this and is like, "There's so much here. Why didn't you?" Eng-? I just it just slid right off me. This show. Well, it, again, it's very difficult to to judge it in contrast to something like Cowboy Bebop. I I kind of slid off Cowboy Bebop too. Mm, I I, didn't, I got like nine but... episodes in. And I'm like, what else is on? Man, it, your 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 metric for gauging anime is is very strange to me. Very strange <laughs> and beautiful. Um, I, I really liked her and I was hoping she'd stick around and they could have kind of like that flirtatious teacher student relationship because, uh, that works on me, mm-hmm. but she, she, you know, she hands it off to these, um, people who are less equipped to find the galactic ley line. And I don't hate that either. Cause it makes Gene have to make decisions and he's not yeah. great at that, <laughs> which makes plot fall out. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> so that's, that's an interesting situation is to put somebody in a position of power who didn't want to be there yeah that that's really good you know um so i i like her and to be honest these first four characters gene jim malfina and uh hot ace hilda i think that we would have had a much better show if we stopped there um (laughs) you know and i'll get back into that in a second but like it's the show starts off very strong for me because i feel like that core cast has a lot to do with each other there's not that much gimmickry it's not that silly and when this show gets silly which is often it loses me a bit Mm -hmm. um and that's you know there's so melfina is voiced by emily brown and she is like She's like the, the the archetypical reserved 
the reserved like girl next door who's who just lost her memory like it, the born sexy yesterday i think is yeah this, this is your shy waifu this is the shy waifu yeah she gets naked to help guide the ship which is like <laughs> also she's completely guiding the ship but you you she needs you too to pilot it <laughs> it's um <laughs> you know at first when i first saw that i was like oh geez this is gonna be some tenchi muyo shit and then there was Asia of the Kataro Kataro clan. We'll get back into that in a second. But after Asia was introduced, I never again thought of her as fan service. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> my, my metrics had just shifted. Like, oh, we're doing this. Oh, God. never mind. No, this is tame. <laughs> this is genteel. Okay. Um, but yeah, she, yeah. Well, we, we find her, you know, naked in that cryopod, which is something that happens in a lot of space westerns. Yeah, like, it's exactly that firefly. Start? I don't know. Like, was this the first? Maybe. Maybe. Can't be, it, right? It's, it is an evocative kind of imagery, right? You're mm-hmm. in an unfamiliar, cold, violent, cruel world, and this is like the, the avatar of innocence, um, and she needs someone to protect her. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think, you know, Tenchi Muyo is a bad point of reference because, you know, I, Aisha and Suzuka are also fulfilling that sort of role where you're like, is Jean supposed to have a romantic relationship with any of them? There's there's no chemistry. Um Melfina at least like oh heals him when he gets poisoned and like they have a weird spoon thing in the aether dimension there is a bit of chemistry with her it comes in a little bit with later her, yeah. because uh she kind of has this whole why was I created sort of uh sort of thing about her she's somehow a key to the galactic ley line because she's an android and uh, plot 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 but the point is she doesn't know why she was created and that fits neatly into Jean's parental abandonment er- narrative so yeah I did get the feeling like they did have chemistry because in part they're all they're the only ones who understand each other. Yeah, they complement each other and they both see th- from a perspective that nobody else does. Right, yeah. And I, to be honest, like I I think this could be a more poignant character than it came out as mostly because the voice actor gave it a fairly fairly cold read. It was like was it supposed to be as quiet and like I don't know. It sounded like she was apologizing for speaking every time. Well, I think that's intentional, and I I like that part of it. It just uh, maybe it's just that there's not a lot of different ways to read that. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a necessary balancing for Jean's you know kind of gung ho, way too loud Leorio kind of uh, talking. Yeah, the the dialogue between the different actors made it very clear that they weren't like all in the same studio together. It did. Um, I do like the kind of visual contrast that we get between the two of them uh, you know the whole um red oni blue oni thing like one's hot-blooded the other one is cool and reserved you mm-hmm. initially think that jim is going to be the one who kind of balances gene out in actuality it's more like malfina does and that's you know that's um that's emphasized by their hair colors right yeah yeah i mean or by their by their generic like color motifs in general gene's definitely got the red hair he's got like the red cape kind of stuff or he's he's generally portrayed and this is one thing the anime does pretty well is that they portray everything with very intentional lighting and color choices Mm -hmm. um and gene is more portrayed in in a lot of red hues and malfina almost always in blue hues especially she when she's in her cryo tank yeah she she is shown to be an aspirational part of gene's psychology like Jim is what's keeping Gene grounded, and Melfina is what's keeping Gene reaching upward. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Like on her behest, almost like she didn't specifically ask. 
I mean, I guess she does specifically it's, it's, ask at at one point. I don't know who made me, and Jean like jumps to the challenge. Oh, we'll find out together. Yeah, it's it's Leia saying you're my only hope. It's uh, Zelda in a Link to the Past saying like Link, you don't know me and you're asleep, but I I kind of need you to bail me out on this one. Like it's the call to action. That's that's a that's a really good point. I I didn't think of her in that in that uh, in that um in that space in that narrative space, but it's it's spot on. Well mm-hmm. done. And and the other two uh, main female no? leads here, Aisha and Suka, also act in opposition um, to Jean as like competitors. They they're they're awful. I, I okay. I, I hate both these characters. I, I see where you're coming from with Aisha. I think Suzuka was handled pretty well. All right, so let me. She just kind of disappeared from time to time. In in our first four man group, we have the hero. He's kind of sly. He's got a lot of energy. He's a little bit loose and and plays fast and loose and and everything like that. Um, we have the second in command, who's more reserved. We have the femme fatale who's kind of badass and got a sharp tongue. And then you got the fourth reserved member. Mm-hmm. That That is, I mean, with the, without the reserved member, I mean, it's it's a four-man group. They have all these different temperaments. It, you could probably do a four cleric, sanguine, all those different temperament ensembles. Sure. Um, it's Cowboy Bebop. You, Spike, he's, he's the hero. You've got Jet. He's like the, kind of the uh, the reserved foil. Um, the pragmatic one. You've got the the zany weirdo who doesn't well, really fit. Well, they also had a dog, so we need a cat now. My point is, it started from that, and then you put a cat girl in there, and oh man, does that all on its own turn it from Cowboy Bebop into Tenchi Muyo. <laughs> um, yeah, and she just like... I, I, I couldn't get over how weird it was, her and Suzuka showing up, having a problem with Jean... It gets resolved, and then they just hang out. It's it's this is awful. Like I don't, I hate this character so much. She, she, she she's such a bummer. Because uh, first of all, she's she's a cat girl. The she 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 says she's Asia clan clan from the Kataro Kataro Empire. Decent name. I'm not. I don't. There's find, there's clearly like a culture there. I don't find it the worst. Um, she's a cat girl supremacist. And, yeah, and wouldn't she's, you be if you were one? She's so much a cat girl that it like if you told me the, everything that I know about this character and did not define what show this was from and what era it was from, I would have been like, oh, mid nineties, because it, <laughs> because it's unfiltered cat girl nonsense, and that's when all of that started happening. In yeah, um, and, and you also it's a, it's a flooded market. Like I can get cat girls from here to Sunday. Like this is not going to be my first choice. Even when they're not literally cats, which this one kind of is. It's like a were panther thing. But in in Yu Yu Hakusho, Botan had like that kind of cat girl, like Nya, like uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of was was that way in in certain places. Um, there was Claudia from Fighting Fudons, which is more a parody of it than anything oh, else. Yeah, that's right. It's. But like this is this is straight unfiltered cat girl. She's super loud. She's way in your face. She's definitely flaunting what she got. She's just I I got nothing from her. She's just obnoxious and a cat girl. Like neither of which I enjoy. Mm-hmm. The only thing I got from her is the fact that she's like a cat girl Nazi. I just wanted I, I I don't know. I didn't see that from. I guess I wasn't paying attention to that part of it. I think she just always shouts the supremacy of the Kataro Kataro Empire and that's like that's a nice little bit of world building kind of uh that gives us the flavor of 
her society, you know, they're, they're very self-aggrandizing. I, they're like, guitar, yeah, and guitar she clearly got like to a position of power through some sort of like hereditary rule. And then they were like, oh, you messed up too badly. It's just you straight nepotism. Yeah. But I, I would have liked to have no, like, I think she would have worked better if I had known why is she on the ship? Why is she hanging out with these people? She just said she hates. Why does she want the galactic ley line? There's just not oh. any motivation. Oh, because here. of harem, Zane. Yeah, but it's not because a harem, harem though. It's not that show. <laughs> no, I know, but like that's the. the I think the that, show is trying to be so many things. <laughs> I I know, and that that's where it gets a little bit muddled. I do think that her inclusion is, you know, and let's let's remember this was adapted from a manga. They did lose some of the mature elements, not all of them, which is to its credit. It it kept some of the sex in, which I like be, because it's handled well. But um, I think that she is more intended to show skin than not. Mm-hmm. Or at least to to be be a play. I I don't know a better way to say they, than they, just they, be a play of playful cat girl for our audience. They wanted to put this in without thinking about anything else. <laughs> They're just like this got to go in. It feels shoehorned. It feels like a and like let's be honest with ourselves. In this era, that's what the cat girl was there for. It is a plea to teenage boys. Who want to see a cat girl for for those reasons? Yeah, they noticed me, senpai. Yep, and and I noticed, but that's not enough, is it? <laughs> uh, to 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 move on to something that uh, is equally infuriating, we have Suzuka, um, mm-hmm. who is actually voiced by Wendy Lee, who is Va- uh, Faye Valentine on Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, and she's a big titty assassin. <laughs> I, that that wasn't as big a plot point as you might think. I I hate her. She's like at least Aisha, Aisha had the whole like Kataro Kataro Nazi cat thing going for her. I mean, again, if I understood her motivations, it would work better. Cause like, oh, she lost a duel to Jean. Now she wants to take him down, and then they realize they have a common enemy in these like space wizards, and so now she's on his team. That's not. You need to do a little bit more. Again, I, I have to point you to why is she here in the first place. I know that we, we often run up against this problem in anime where you accept on the face of it that this is this is uh, this 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 woman who whom could be attractive is here. Now how does she fit? And mm-hmm. I'm much more of the opinion of why did they feel it necessary to include this attractive woman in the first place? And I, I part of me cannot get past that, particularly <laughs> when it's reinforced. During her initial duel with Jean, Jean, like, disarms her and also takes off her sash so her robe kind of opens up. Like, I not portrayed that way all the time, but there's a reason it's a girl assassin and not a guy assassin. Yeah, and that's not helpful. I think it's part of the broader problem of the show where they just, nobody told them, nobody told them no. Like, and then there's more bounty hunters, and there's space wizards, and there's samurais, and we're going to have a robot ship talk to us, and it's going to be awesome. Like, it's just throwing extra stuff in. I, I kind of like some element of that. Like, I like the Nigel-esque, like, robot butler sort of presentation of the the of the, uh, of the ship. Mm-hmm. I, I don't hate that. Um, I just, but these characters are so extraneous to me. I don't it's, know what they bring out in Jean. And I don't know what they're for in the plot. So, like, why are they there? And it's because of Harem. I I want I wanted to believe that there was enough world building and background in this show to make all of these disparate elements make sense and and jive with each other. 
but the show itself did not make me want to invest the energy in figuring it out. No, it, it's, again, I, it, it's very difficult because there are shows that balance the plot arc silliness kind of thing better. I feel like they generally are more grounded. I, I, don't, have a, but, I don't have an easy time having a show that is half serious and half goofy. Right. Um, and that I think that's a big part of the tone is like I don't know whether they want me to laugh or cry. Or get horny. And I agree with you that the, the <laughs> sexiness is... It's part of it. The, the problem with the sexiness is in this show where we can see things from a bunch of different perspectives and we, we have a bunch of different viewpoints, all the sex is only filtered through the perspective of Gene. It's it. That's it. Yeah. And that's that's so limiting in a show where they put effort elsewhere. You know, it, it feels like it was probably an artifact of the fact that it used to be a manga and is now an anime. Like, I sure. think in manga culture, just having having these characters is, is less of a focal point, is less of a distraction, because it's it's kind of baked into the into the format a little bit. Yeah. Especially because it came from a more mature source. But, like, when you alter that and put it in a show where so much runs on what is the plot, um, it, it kind of loses its excuse. Yeah, and I think that's actually a good point of of how it could have been adapted better because a lot of these things that I mentioned that I found as problems with the pacing, with the with the extraneous characters, those are things where in a manga you put them in and it's a they if they're not additive, it's a waste of space. But there's other stuff happening in those panels. When you put it in here, it's a waste of time, and it's there's a waste no way of, yeah. to ex- expedite that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that is that is definitely a problem, and it's a waste of focus. You know, it's not mm-hmm. merely time; it's it's taking focus away from uh, you know Gene and Malfina and and whatever the cool plot could be. And granted, I didn't know what the cool plot was because it's impossible to focus on because nothing made sense. It's uh, but <laughs> I, I want to you know and and this issue of focus because for me this feels like a personal failing because a lot of the things you mentioned. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, that that strikes me as, uh, like, I, I don't know if that can be laid at your feet or whether it's a failing of the show. Well, I'm going to make a point of comparison, which is I, I watched a couple of movies, uh, animated movies recently, just for fun. One of them was the movie uh, Spies in Disguise. It just came out. Will Smith is a secret agent that turns into a pigeon. Sure. I was glued to the screen the whole time. I couldn't stop paying attention. <laughs> that sounds like Maki, the, sh- the 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 movie about like a reincarnation revenge fantasy where somebody's like a Bollywood film where uh, someone gets reincarnated as a fly and has to ruin a guy's life. That, ooh, <laughs> it's like Eddie McDowd in reverse. It's like reverse Eddie McDowd. I think you'd like it, actually. <laughs> that I, sounds, I, sounds I've like been good... to enjoy a Bollywood. Yeah. But, um, but the but the thing is, like, I'm capable of paying attention to stuff that's bizarre and, like, uh, uh, spends time within that combo, wacky and serious world. Like, I should have been able to pay attention to this, and I couldn't. And I don't know where the blame lies. Well, let, let me talk a little bit about the change, the difference between the drama and comedy of this versus yeah. something that is a little bit closer to my tastes. Okay. So the, this... This show sits an odd place on the silly, serious spectrum because it is mature compared to most mech and harem anime mm-hmm. and, and most anime at the time. Like, you know, it, it has Gene with a call girl in his bedroom. There's, you know, nudity going on. And clearly she's there to provide physical comfort for Gene, which is very good character and world building. And it, 
but um, you know, it, and it doesn't uh, kind of go out of its way to be, you know, horny for horniness's sake. It's to a purpose, mm-hmm. but it's also goofy compared to more of the mature stuff like Cowboy Bebop or Berserk, where like you'll have uh, Asia run out of run out of juice while fighting, and then she'll like get like the cat swirly eyes and then fall face down and with her butt up in the air. Yeah, some of these characters are more anime than others. The, well, it's it, which is kind of a cool kind of uh that that's a cool way to characterize your characters is to have them sure. behave in different animation styles. But my point is it is both adult and goofy and it made it feel more like a leisure suit Larry or a golden boy than mm-hmm. anything else. Which yeah. is not bad. But then they try to do main arc stuff with, like, Malfina is this computer and is the key to the Galactic Ley Line, and there's these seven assassins, and Hot Ice Hilda and the McDougal brothers, and the the two sides don't really, they don't really bolster each other. They don't fit in the same world. I, I, let, me, let me try out a thought here, because mm-hmm. Gene is kind of the intersection of these t- different tones, and it's like he's taking the situation seriously, but he doesn't want us to take him seriously. Mm-hmm. Is that a is that a fair way to say it? I think so. Like there he he does seem like he knows that he's being watched. <laughs> like he's putting on this tough guy facade, but for whom? I don't hate the facade though. Like I'm not talking about how the character treats the situation. I'm talking about how the show treats the situation. Mm-hmm. Cuz there's there's mundanity in some of these episodes that I really dig. There's an episode where each of the three kind of people of the crew who are there at the time each take different jobs, and all of the different jobs turn out to be connected by the end. It's like a Rashomon episode. So he, it, it is yeah. definitely a one-off. We're not advancing the plot in any way. And it's a little bit silly because there's a psychic cactus by the end of it. But every time we are talking with one of the characters, they are relating to the world in the way that they see fit gene is mm-hmm. nose to the grindstone asia is you know embarking on a sewer because someone told that her that she couldn't gene is flirting with a woman and even when they talk to each other about their various scores it's tinged with this very real kind of uh not not maybe not warmth but like familiarity i feel like it actually does work yeah they're, they're well realized characters there's just not always there's not always enough uh lubrication to to get between the fact that these are very different characters i like it when they're in a mundane situation and goofing off like there's Mm -hmm. there's this one great interaction where gene is getting nervous about like a duel that he gets challenged to and he's kind of like talking through his thoughts on his couch and asia is hanging out on the stairs next to him kind of glibly just commenting while playing a game boy Mm -hmm. and you know he kind of tells her off for being so childish and then in like two scenes later Jim is trying to get his attention and he's playing the same game. <laughs> like just like these little snippets of That's mundane activity between them is is really good. But then there's like these one-offs that aren't mundane. They aren't grounded in their in their kind of familiarity. They're like Gene has to enter the world's strongest woman competition because his gay best friend doesn't want to marry the woman who said that they're going to be uh betrothed once she wins the uh when she, when Are, she wins the Galactic Strongman Do we want to talk about Fred? We will. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have anything for him yet. But my point is just, like, there's a way to do silly in a way that is, like, comfortable and is good character building, and then there's a way that just feels extraneous and weird. The The mood shifts pretty fast. There's mm-hmm. there's a little bit of mood whiplash here. Like, here here's a scene. 
mm-hmm. and it has serious and it has uh goofy and it has tender and it has just bizarre in it late night they're sleeping Melfina is awake she can't get to sleep and Jean sits next to her and she asks him can you stay here until I fall asleep because I'm not human and I'm kind of dealing with that so she lies against him and she feels comfortable and she falls asleep and he's a pervert right and he's gonna try and feel her up yep and Jim stop stops him and he says Jim come on I'm just gonna see how human she really is Gross. and Jim hits him and says She's more human than you, you pervert. And then yeah, we Jean... suddenly become very like, this, you know, uh, kind of very like, yeah, yeah. And he's gonna retaliate. He's gonna, he's gonna like, yeah, why I oughta. And then he sees <laughs> that's a good way that, to put it. That Jim is now hugging her, and he says she's like my mom. And Gene, you know, he, he's grabbing his own neck like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a real schmuck. And then there's <laughs> bullet holes in the screen and smash cut to a rocket taking off. Yep. <laughs> and like that starts at a good place. And each element of it is something that I would enjoy. Like starting off from like there's this admission of vulnerability from Malfina's side. There's this mm-hmm. understanding of that vulnerability from Gene's side. It's not well articulated or transitioned to but we also have that whole gene is someone who searches for comfort in very physical ways yeah very lowbrow i wouldn't even say lowbrow he's just like you know her kind of discussing that stuff makes him feel awkward and confused and well, low. what i mean is what i mean is he has a higher interest in her but he's only used to considering his own base instincts and right. so, like, he, he filters that as a base interest. And so that all, that all does work if you take each piece in isolation. I agree yeah. that that mood whiplash is pretty weird, though. The show keeps shooting me. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why do they keep on scene transitioning with bullets? Yeah. I mean, that's, like, a pretty popular mid-90s stinger <laughs> mid-episode. Like, I think they did something akin to that in Trigun as well. Um you know the, the the cutovers, and it's it's an attempt to make it seem mature and bounty hunter and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't love the tonal whiplash. You know, I something that so uh, obvious comparison. I should probably stop doing it, but just for one more time, Cowboy Bebop had its share of silly episodes. Oh, what's Cowboy Bebop? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how much you watched of it. You said you weren't huge into that either. But um, uh, every time I go back to look at it, I'm like, this is taking forever. Right. <laughs> I know yeah. there's like art here, but I'm not here for it right now. It has its share of silly episodes like the Mushroom Samba episode, which is a pretty famous one um, where they all get high on mushrooms and, you know, not much plot happens there. They each mm-hmm. kind of go into their own mind and, and reflect upon their deepest insecurities. And it's played for laughs, but it's got like kind of that core of what am I really scared of? Yeah, And that's an episode, though, that's right? It's not episode. like two minutes. Yeah, that's a whole episode. So they, <laughs> they've they've staked their terms flat out at the beginning and they follow it through for the whole episode. And it's good character building. It's good world building. And it's a nice break from the heavier stuff that they sometimes get to. But... It's it's not with like to your point. It's not within two minutes. They're not trying to get us to feel everything we possibly can in the in the context of a single moment. Yeah, and that like that ties into another problem in this, which is like 
a lot of things might happen in an episode, but very little actually progresses in terms of the state of affairs. I agree. So the, like the, the pacing is very difficult to to get a handle on. And and it's not like like slice of life sections are fine, right? We see them eating in a restaurant, it's cute, they have interactions. That's great. Every time they interact in a mundane way, I'm I'm on board. But there's going to be like rising actions of like oh, they're on our tail, they're shooting at us. We escaped. Oh, they're on our tail. They're shooting at us. We we pop them one. We live to ride another day. It's just a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter, and it doesn't tell me anything. Yeah, they they spend a lot of time like running away from threats that are not important. I did enjoy. There was a two parter where like it's time for a race, and <laughs> you know I'm kind of into that. And uh, that, by the way, that that just happens. Like it's not really explained. They're just like. Boy, we need some work. There's a race happening. Done. And now we're in a race. Well, they spent half the first episode being like, yeah, we'd like to enter the race. Well, you need money. I'm trying to get money. That's the whole point of the race. Yeah. Well, why don't you get a sponsorship? Who do I know who has money? Hey, Fred. Freddy, come here. And there's this whole like thing about we got to make first. We got to make the top three or else we're not going to make it back. And then, and like, oh, there's somebody up ahead of us who is a rival you know, it's personal now. We got to take a riskier path to get there faster. That all really worked for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it took like eight episodes to get there, and I couldn't tell you any plot points that happened before it. I vaguely remember something about the McDougal brothers and space wizards. Mm -hmm. Man, the space wizards show up in those first four episodes and not again for a while. They, they do very, very irregularly, and they all chant, chant the same thing. They all go like, you know, they all do the same exact chant in a fun way. Which it's is like, like, you have something we want, and we're going to kill you. And it's like, maybe we could talk. <laughs> I, I don't understand what is going on with the space wizards. I think they're probably connected to the overarching plot. I don't know. There's, there's a part of this show that's like... I, I, I guess I guess level. I guess I've already stated it, but like part of the unfamiliarity can be cool as long as it's purposeful, and a lot of it didn't feel purposeful. It's trying to do too much for the resources it had. I think that's accurate, and maybe that maybe part of that is also adaptation specific. You know, mm -hmm. maybe we can give it that pass of oh, it it kind of fit together well and was paced a little bit more methodically in the manga. And it just was harder to adapt into a concrete storyline in a visual medium. Maybe that's if, the idea. If somebody was going to, you know, reboot this, I'd, I'd be pretty into it. I would check it out. I would I would potentially be into it. I feel like there's a lot of fat in, you know, some you know, of it, the It's characters. like how, like, Hunter Hunter and JoJo's had adaptations in the late 90s that were not great. And it just took them a while to get to the era of anime that worked for those stories. That's a good point. There are some things in this that I think do work really well mm. when you focus on them. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I think when they hit the maturity bits and like the gender conventions of the characters, I think that really works well. Like, Can you explain what you mean? So, you know, this is, this is a more adult than normal series. It's not quite Berserk or Cowboy Bebop, but it is, you know, there is there are people with sexual intent. Um yes. which is, you know, that that's a that's a step above Tenchi Muyo where that's totally the <laughs> oh, case. Are you referring but they... to my new porno? <laughs> people with sexual intent. <laughs> yeah, it's for literalists. I didn't want there to be any misunderstanding. But um so the the what they what I mean by maturity and gender conventions is um, the way that Jean's character 
copes with his parental abandonment. And like that I don't mean parental abandonment in that he was gone freaked. Like he, you know, <laughs> he he he's he wasn't left for dead. He just like his dad died and he has he's been he's, he's been rudderless ever since. Sure. Um and he looks for very primary like you said, um very uh low uh I don't know, know how you said it. The, the sources of comfort are very, very um, base. base. Yes, he, he searches for base source of comfort. So in that first episode, he's spending an evening with a call girl the night after taking out down a dangerous mark. That's, you know, mm-hmm. his spare coin goes to gr- getting the only kind of physical affection and, and security that he understands and is capable of holding. And, you know, yeah. his, his relationship with Malfina also kind of highlights his inherent limitations at the start of like i can see her as a person i can see her as an attractive woman i cannot see her as both at the same time Mm -hmm. so he's um, not on that level yet he's stunted his growth is stunted exactly arrested development um 15 episodes in there is this episode where he is confronted with an assassin who outpaces him in skill like it is very likely he's going to die in a day and he has this conversation with Malfina where she comes to him, he's a little drunk, she's expressing concern for him, and he, like, grabs at her and tries to, you know, like, make mm-hmm. something happen. And she recoils, like, why are you acting this way? Huh. You know, because he's being a real dick. You know, he's, he's not considering her feelings, he's being very brash and trying to go for what he wants and is not really considering her emotions in, in that moment. And she recoils from him and he gets frustrated and upset and like does this cute little fetal position thing like there's actually a good amount of characterization in some fairly you know how how his childhood trauma informs his his desire for companionship sort of way yeah there is a lot of depth there it's interesting because so much of anime has trained me to understand the protagonist who knows what they want and maybe doesn't know how to get there just yet, but they're going to keep pushing until they do. That That's kind of the the genre convention I'm used to. So it's, it's a lot harder and it takes a lot longer and more investment to understand and appreciate a character who's just in a rut. And yeah. they can do things, but they're just so aimless. Th- that And that's his character for a large part of this, is he knows he wants glory and the big payday and all of that, but he doesn't... He doesn't have any agency over how he kind of uh, approaches it. Yeah, he's 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 just a you know another pretty face in L.A. trying to get a trying to get some acting work, <laughs> yeah, more or less. And if 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 he if he happens to search if he happens to go to his roommate one night as a source of comfort, and if they if they were to if they were to get hot and heavy, who among us can blame him? Yeah, because that's what he wants right now. That's what he wants right now. That's what registers to him in that moment as comfort but it is not what malfina wants and that like sends him into like a a doubt fugue you know it's yeah. uh it, it's pretty textured for what we've been dealing with up until then in terms of you know his sexuality which has been let's laugh at the gay friend man can we yeah, let's talk about that if if we're gonna talk about the way that gene is like this is my hero? Really? I gotta go with this guy? <laughs> God, it's such a bummer. So he's got this friend. His name is Fred Lowe. Fred is doing very fucking well for himself. Can we just stop there for a minute? I'm so proud of Fred. Like, let's just, like, recognize that he's got his shit together. He, he's he got bodyguards who would literally die for him all around him. It's very he's, cute. 
he's doing well and he's you know he's good to his buddy well why why are you still so good to that guy he's always such a mooch yeah but you know i like him and not only is he a flirtatious gay guy he is a flirtatious gay guy who flirts with underage boys because that was acceptable characterization for gay people in the in the mid 90s Mm-hmm. He, and the he, only he's not merely to gay, that is... but predatory. Congratulations, yeah. anime. Oh, Gene! It's been so long. You're looking well, Fred. You never call me, you never write me, I never hear from you. Oh! <laughs> I'm so very happy you came to see me. Y- yeah, I- I'm happy too. <laughs> Is this Gene's friend, Fred Lowe? Yeah, that'd be him. Gene did some job for him a while ago. Oh, is that you, James? It looks like you're growing up quickly. Oh. Yeah, well, I guess. <sighs> yeah, yeah, okay. It's nice to see you too, Fred. I can't wait to see you in another two or three years. Yeah, well, in two or three years, I think I'll be someplace far, far away. Well, then I'd just come after you to the edge of the universe if I had to. And who might this young lady be? How do you do? My name is Melfina. Yes, pleased to meet you. And the only response that a character is allowed to have to that is just recoiling. Yes, yes, just uh, not in my house. Uh, he's it's it's just a I I really hate his treatment. It's just a, and like it doesn't stop there. That's <laughs> it's a bit the, of a bummer. That's the biggest problem. But like Jean regularly attract like remarks on the unattractiveness or attractiveness of various women, and that can be done in a good way of like. I'll hear this woman out for the job she has for us and clearly is motivated by a sexual desire. And it can be done in a bad way, such as recoiling from a picture of a female bodybuilder multiple times for a joke. There are ways, you know, this is is always the thing, like when an author writes a a character or, or when they're in a show where it's like, oh, you're, you're supposed to hate that they do this. You have to be very good at your craft if you're going to make that clear. Mm. And either they didn't try or they weren't able to or just sensibilities were different. Um, This did not help the fact that I had a really hard time caring about Gene's perspective. I really wanted to get more into Fred Lowe's character because I was hoping that there would be more of a spurned lover, like hopeless romance kind of situation. And I think there is at the core. I, I remember one time one of the bodyguards is telling, hey, don't mess this up. And Gene's like, don't worry, I'll totally, um, I'll I'll make sure to get the job done. And the bodyguard is like, no, I mean, don't mess up Fred Lowe's love for you. He is in love with you. Don't fuck Mm -hmm. it up. Like, keep his emotions in mind when you interact with him because he he is breaking himself over you. Like, and he doesn't say all that explicitly, but that's the general impression I got. And I just, I wanted some clarity on it rather than having like the happy mask salesman gay guy who's always smiling and is predatory toward the 11 year old. Like there's clearly enough content there to make him a cool character with real feelings. And most of the time he's portrayed in a very stereotypical way. And also Mm. like, this is an interesting setting we should see and understand characters from more diverse walks of life. Just the fact that he's like a merchant mm-hmm. or doing other things, like as opposed to the loner, you know, rebel bounty hunter of which there's really only the one thing about them. Yeah. Yeah. They're it's, just not as it like, it's the same no matter what the setting is. Right. Right. And I, you know, I would have, 
I don't know. I could have stood to have Fred have more characterization because he comes off as very stereotypical in a uncomfortable way. Yeah, I mean, it, again, like there are good things in here. This needed to have been done better. I think it just it, like I think we or we, I needed to come to it with more. Uh, um, what's the word? Like I, I need to be more willing to try things. Like I needed to commit more or put more energy and investment into this show to appreciate it. I believe that this show is better than I think it is. It's just like I think it's quite. If good. I'm a newcomer, you have to sell me, and this show didn't sell me. I think it is quite good, and also a bit of a bummer at times. I think it's quite bad, and sometimes there's some interesting bits. Hmm. Well, in any case, let's let's move on into animation. Yeah, I mean, it looked good. So let me uh, let me go off on a bit of a tangent. Lovely picture book here. The reason that we check this out in part is because recently Super Eye Patch Wolf came out with a video talking about Outlaw Star, and we were both kind of intrigued. Um, one of the things that he had mentioned was that each character tends to animate in a different way, and that's excellent nonverbal characterization. The other thing is that the lighting and color is very apparent in the, you know, I, I had said earlier that the atmospheric environmental storytelling is really prevalent. Mm-hmm. That is especially true in the color scheming, where sure. the brightness of the scene and the hues tell you the energy you're supposed to feel. There's a duel on a foggy hilltop, and it's blues and grays, and the it's very dingy and dim. There's yellows and greens bright popping for, like, a bopping casino, and there's some like scandalous neon bright reds and purples for a moody bar. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 very effective if you're just looking at it without trying to take everything in, if you're just letting your eyes kind of roll over it. And that's how I came to it. So like that aspect of it I think was really useful. Interesting. See, for me, this was the thing that was upsetting about it because like the thing that is ostensibly one of the best things about this show if I'm not looking at the screen because I can't really focus on the show <laughs> for that long, it's kind of wasted on me. That, that's 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 a fair point, but I, I think that's not a weakness of the animation. No, this is this is a my fault problem, <laughs> <laughs> or at least like it's just it was a, a it was a benefit that you didn't get. Sure. Um, yeah, so I really like the environments on that metric. As I said, there's also that kind of 3070 rule of like how of it how much of it looks like traditional Chinese society and how much of it looks like space piracy. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know I think that that uh, I think that that um, coalescing is is done okay. I don't think it's done perfectly at times. Like I would have definitely preferred more like I don't know orchards with mechanical guards. You know, just like actual oh, yeah, like yeah. juxtaposition of the two things at the same time. As it stands, we're either in like kind of a traditional city or hilltop or something, or we're in space. Yeah, the the blending of genres kind of only goes one way. Mm-hmm. So that that could have been done maybe a little bit better. Um, the costumes I think are well worth pointing out because you know there's uh, there's two ways to kind of do space pirate or space bounty hunter space western. In, in terms of, like, my appreciation of the pillars of the genre. And that you is... make them look like Clint Eastwood. That's the Firefly approach. <laughs> There's also the uh, Lupin approach, which is make them look like Spike Spiegel, which is, like, give them a suit. Give them, give them a real, like, kind of lanky, not quite 
businessman, not quite sleaze sort of yeah, He was a professional once. Yes, professional at one time. This does something a little closer to the Firefly route, wherein mm-hmm. our main character, Gene Starwind, has this beautiful, awesome fucking poncho. Yeah, <laughs> like Gene hey, and Melfina are the only ones wearing ponchos, and I don't understand. There. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I really love it. It's it's nobody else was wearing yellow, so that's your color coding, buddy. It, yeah, it's the good, the bad, and the and the and the and the AI. He's walking around with red hair and a yellow poncho, like he's in the McDonald's logo or something. <laughs> like it's Ronald McDonald in a star fight. But I, I really liked that, and I think that um, I think that Jim's costume is also very appropriate. You know, he's got like kind of a he's he's only eleven he's years monkey. old, but he's a grease monkey. Yeah, he's got a very like Wendy, not Wendy. What am I? Win, Winry, Winry from um, from uh, from Full Metal. Full Metal Alchemist. The other Full Metal. Yeah, and, and like yeah, he's got that grease monkey garb. He's got that nice kind of like satchel where presumably he's got like drill bits and shit. Um, it's just very, those are really good costumes. Aisha gets a pass for being an alien species of some sort. Like, that's fine. I don't have any real problem with the leotard other than, like, yes, okay, I get it, sex again. <laughs> oh, is sex happening over here? Well, how can you tell? <laughs> I I really dislike Suzuka's costume, though. Because it doesn't have any spaceness to it it's just from inuyasha it's just right. cut and paste like yeah. woman woman from a tradition like i don't dislike the fact that this is a priestess this is sailor mars <laughs> you know from, <laughs> this is this is a priestess at a temple as an at a, or, or an onsen or whatever um and that does remark on her character being traditional and stringent and all that but it just was devoid of that kind of spark like it's it's no it's a little too Frank Miller for my tastes, mm-hmm. you know. Like a assassin prostitute is sort of what I got from that, or like lady from high society, silk hiding steel, sort of uh, sort of thing. And it just was uh, a little bland in comparison. Sure. Yeah, it's like we we've we've seen it before, and we know enough that it doesn't belong here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but ponchos, bro, ponchos though. Goddamn. <laughs> Uh, I just realized we didn't talk at, any, at all really about any of the chief antagonists. Did you get anything from that? Who? Right? Because, like, I didn't really... They they showed up very sparsely. And if there were space wizards, they were fucking crazy looking. One of them there looks a, like a walrus. His nose hairs, like, go down in points past his stomach. There's that thing about space where there's a distance between you and the antagonist. And yes... You might see them face-to-face on a planet or a meteor or something, but because you're always seeing them in different contexts, you know, aboard the starship or or you're competing about something or you're, you know, on a planet uh, together in a social situation, like, you can't build anything up. And they have too many right off the bat of like, oh, the McDougals, oh, the Kai Wizards, oh, the, you know, Spike Cactus Psychic dude. Like... They, they don't build up. The The announcer at the beginning of the episode tells me that the McDougals are very important and cool. But then the next episode, we we see Gene just shoot him like, hey, it's time for you to get shot by me, Gene. And like, <laughs> Gene Starwin, don't wear it out. <laughs> Gene Starwin, the guy shooting you. Here's my business card. <laughs> <laughs> shoot him with the business card as a bullet. Yeah. Uh, 
That is a good point. I, I like what you said about like there being distance, inherent distance in this space battle. Counterpoint, what that does is when they are close, it gives a enhanced level of uh, of of that of that safety, that security being taken away. Well, l- let me let me tell you why one of the problems. So in that episode where where he you know uh, infiltrates uh, the McDougal ship, he like turns a corner, shoots a guy in the leg, and the guy's like, ah, my leg, my leg, and he goes up close to him, and he's like, all right, McDougal. You're not McDougal. (laughs) Like, like, I forgot that that wasn't McDougal. Yeah, I thought it was McDougal. Because, like, I only seen McDougal once before, and the only thing about him was his hair color. Maybe it was one of the lesser McDougals. You know, like rules, like like the third Lannister cousin. We're like, yes, he's technically a prisoner of war, but no one really cares if he gets released. Game of Thrones is another thing where, like, you need to remind me who the people are if you want me to care that they're dying. That one had Game of Thrones had a much more consistent, serious tone, though. Like, it could be silly, but it wasn't. It was. It was. It helped. It didn't become the focus. Mm -hmm. Um, but. But let, let me let me go back to that point with space creating, you know, kind of the space makes distance. Space, yeah, space makes distance. As it turns out, is when they are interacting with a villain in a in a close encounter kind of way, like the initial arc, uh, or like the space race arc, or like the assassins arc. We, you know, in between those arcs. Villains have been one-offs, they've been a little goofy, they've been very far away. Like, we're engaging with them on our terms. And when they surprise us, that sense of security, that sense of familiar safety is taken away, and Gene is forced to resort to kind of his his best tricks. His Because uh, he's not really a shonen battle hero. He's more of a tricksy James Bond, Lupin-esque, sort of, sort of sly, clever hero, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not not really that either because he's kind of stupid. But like that—that's the—he fits more in the guile part of herodom. Yeah, he's streetwise. So when he's surprised by villains, I think that that is a really good opportunity for them to crank up the tension in a way that wouldn't be possible if we were always twenty feet away. Mm-hmm. So I, and I, I don't think they do always do it well, but I definitely did when they you know encounter the assassins. It was suddenly like oh. My chickens have come home to roost. I've pissed off the wrong people. And now I'm fucking floundering because this was just not a danger that I realized existed. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't real until it's right up in front of you. Yeah, and I think that kid, that is pretty cool when it happens. Yeah, I mean, as an audience member, like, if the importance and immediacy of the situation doesn't hit me until we're right up in front of them, it's going to be a while because most of the show is not in that... Uh is not in that modality it seems like most of the issue was just one of delivery to you like it seems like you don't mind the plot characters or storytelling of it it's just or maybe not the storytelling is the problem but like it's just that uh it didn't tell you it in the right way the problem it's it's not the content a hundred percent the problem was with me because like i didn't have a reason to care enough about this to like give it all of my attention if if this was like me and some buddies have an anime night and this is the anime and one of them suggested it because they really like it and we're going to watch it together and chat after each episode, I'd probably be really into this. More likely, they would probably recommend it because of how good the theme song is. All right, let's get to that theme song. (laughs) (laughs) 
just, I just segue, segue. I, it, do you mind if we no, segue toward that? I, I wasn't sure where to go, so I figured that was a good opportunity. Yeah, this is this is the good side of the '90s, where every anime had a it's just a absolute bop of a theme song. Yeah, this is a banger. Um, it's what got me through a lot of it, to be honest. I never skipped it. It mm-hmm. it always sounded amazing. Um, and it, I, like it also has really good like visual direction, like that when it kind of like is just kind of hitting its stride and amping up the excitement, and it like goes into halftime, and you see Gene running the camera at an angle like jumping over trash cans and stuff and like running off of walls while escaping gunfire Whew. oh see for me the Whew. great part was gene is looking and he's like his head his hands are in his hair like he's pulling them out like he's stressed and then he's pulling down on his face like oh my god i'm so tired and then you he opens up his mouth to look at his teeth and you're like oh no he's just like washing his face yes for the day and brushing his teeth so good that's pretty funny to me. Yeah, and they um, all kind of get those splash image intro things mm-hmm. for each kind of character. But it, they don't fit as well for as for Gene. And Gene and Jim are the ones for whom that matters. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, man, that Gene with, like, the looking at his own teeth. Like, it, it's just, that's, that's one of those, like, just seeing him looking at himself in the mirror being a regular dude. Like, I'd have a beer with that president, kind of. Like, I just, <laughs> just kind of like this guy. Ooh, Gene Starwin for president. <laughs> yeah. I I move like it's he's a fairly easy person to keep in check. You just tell him that a computer uh, woman said to do something. Yeah, very simple. Uh, there there is some engaging music like during battle scenes as well. Usually when it's not anything happening, it's pretty sparse. There's a couple of good silly ones. Like I I don't oh, yeah. I'm not aces with all the silly scenes, but like the the there's some couple good themes. Uh, Fred Lowe in particular has a nice jazzy brass motif that goes along with the lighter place in the show. Fred's great. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I he, like he could be great. <laughs> if only we let him. If only we didn't yeah, get, require him to be a character. This show needs to get out of Fred's way. Get out of Fred's way, man. Um, on the other hand, the the dialogue in this show is pretty clunky. It's not great. Um, there, I mean, there's parts that are fine. Uh, it's I, I feel like most of it was a translation issue. Oh, yeah. And, well, some, some translation, some performance like jim especially i think like there's some weird commas in his sentences that don't need to be there there is a lot of dead air that gets filled haphazardly um there i i saw multiple scenes of gene and jim getting upset with each other growling and then just continuing to growl for like just long enough for it to become ridiculous you know like what did you say yeah it's like i don't understand how this happened um here, here's a line of dialogue. If anyone interferes, they'll go after them. That means they'll go after you, since you interfered. Cool. This is, this is the level we're dealing with. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> that happens a lot, where they just like say the same thing a few times. Yeah, it's it's uh it's not a great translation. Like I think that the voice actors did bring the right energy to each character. Yeah. You know, Jim. Jim does. D- does sound like the cautious, world-weary counterpoint to Gene's vibrant enthusiasm that is, like, a little bit hectic. I- Aisha definitely reads as someone for whom schedules and logisticals do not apply. Uh, Malfina yeah. is definitely reserved in the way that you want for Gene's counterpoint to be. Like, all of those individually are good, and I think they work well together. And with a better translation, could really have uh, 
could really be a feather in the cap of this show. I, I think the problem is that they don't work well together. They, they're fine in, you know, on them on their own. But there's just so much difference in the way that each character speaks to each other that it it's jarring that there's there's just not enough to bridge those gaps most of the time. I actually thought that the way they talked to each other was was usually okay, or at least it worked on mm. me. Like I, I think the relationships are clear enough to me that when I hear Jim say to, or when I hear Gene say to Jim, if the if they're if we're gonna do a job, it's not worth it unless we get paid big, right, partner? And like that's kind of bad dialogue, but given that he's saying it to Jim, it yeah. feels part like it feels like the part of a familiar. It's a warm pair of shoes. It's yeah, and it's like an argument that a couple has been having for twenty years. You know, it just it's very because we have those very clear relationships, which I think is a very big part of Gene's story. Um, the dialogue is lifted up from like a D to a B minus. I guess I'm just thinking of like if Aisha and Gene and Suzuka are all talking. The level of anger in each voice is is just far away enough from each other that it's conf- it's weird and doesn't sound like they're talking to each other. I guess I I see your point there. Yeah, it, that, that that's where it hit me. It does um, it does in those moments Gene, feel like Gene they're recording things separately. Well. Melfino works fine with everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I do get your point though. It does feel like Aisha and Gene arguing with each other were just recorded on different weekends or something. Mm-hmm. Does not feel like they're talking to each other. Yeah, I mean that, and that wasn't ever the part that slowed me on this show. You know, it, it, the the problems had set in before that. Yeah. Um. So speaking of, I I didn't ask this before, but like I know that you have a a a bit of a flimsy relationship with mech anime, which <laughs> I think this vaguely fits into. You do have grappler ships. They do space karate, but it's uh. I guess I was wondering, in the genre of either mech anime or space western, how does this compare to other stuff you've seen? What do you think is good about it um, in comparison to something like a Big O or a Gurren Lagann or something like that? Like, not how does it compare, but like, what are the parts that are good? I, I didn't really think of it at all as a as a mech anime, and you know I actually had a very similar problem with Big O, where I just kind of can't look at it for too long. Um, I'll, I'll grant you that. Gurren Lagann, I think I watched when during a time when I was very engaged in what I was watching. Um, You're right. I guess it's not much of a mech anime, but it is a space western. But, but on the space western, yeah, I mean. Uh, maybe it's just not a genre that works for me in anime because there is so much time spent on the slow build up and the seedy sort of feeling it's it's all very you know atmosphere forward and uh i my, my attention spans just not what it used to be what i liked about cowboy bebop was yes there was an overarching plot but we never that was never at the forefront the forefront was our day-to-day jobs and what they bring out in the characters interacting with each other and i think when this show is at its best it is them doing a day-to-day job and just just seeing how they relate to each other in a mundane setting, in a let's pay the bills, yeah. let's try to get along kind of way. Well, Not in I'm the fantastical of, stuff. See, I'm thinking of like Oban Star Racers, which wasn't like a Western, but it was space and it did have a good sense of, of world building and atmosphere. And there the character interactions were fine. The plot was fine. 
because they were, they were going, they were working towards something, you know, and that's kind of what I need. I, I need a little bit of a push to motivate me to keep watching because otherwise, what's the next episode going to be about? Well, they're going to have, you know, space hijinks and interactions. Well, I, I just saw that and it wasn't that engaging. <laughs> Here's a good point. Like with, with regard to Obon Star Racers, I would say that the relationships between the characters was not as clear to me. And I think it's because when this show is good, when Outlaw Star is good, it is because it's characters in their mundane lives talking to each other, relating to each other, having conversations, having banter, discussing mm-hmm. their relative perspectives on their lives. And they do a lot of that, whereas in Oban Star Racers, it was a race every week. There was always a climax toward a race and a denouement out of it. There mm-hmm. wasn't really, a, you know, uh, an odd episode for Gene to go on a date while Jim kind of does maintenance stuff. There wasn't downtime in Oban Star Racers. There is downtime in this, and that opens up the opens up the characters to interact with each other in a more textured way. The yeah, difficulty... and that's why that's why I like the slice of life genre and why I think that aspect, if it had been more present here, would have been good. For me, it was just too far too far in between you know it's it's oh you should you should watch this action sci-fi western thing that has goofy and serious elements why you know for the times when they're just hanging out yeah they, like i would know, just i would just sell yeah I, w- I would just take uh i would take this show that was entirely plot and i would take this show that was entirely not plot i don't think that they fit well together and th- this goes back to my dislike of uh full metal panic as i had discussed earlier i I was really into the plot in the first season and then they abandoned it for the interstitial season. And I just, I hated it because I, I was used to it telling me one kind of thing and I, I didn't have, I didn't have room for it. It while would be like this. watching Tenchi Muyo for the action scenes. Like, yes, they're, they are there. It feels <laughs> and so strange. It feels so strange in hindsight that Tenchi Muyo had action scenes. And yeah, it feels so strange. Good looking, half of that anime. <laughs> it, it, it feels so strange looking back on this, that it had plot. Yeah, like, right. Um, and there are shows that can balance the two, but it, they they need to be a special show, and this this one is not special enough to be able to thread both. It's not special enough to me. I think there is that sort of you know if this is what's on and it's once a week, yeah, man, I could see myself getting into this. I uh, I I don't have the time for bad media that I used to. What's a part of this or show that you liked service. unconditionally? I like Melfina. I thought that she nailed every scene she was in. I thought that she was additive. She added something that no character had dealt with before, and it forced them to react, and it made their characters more believable. I thought hmm. that she was, like, probably the best part of the show. I do like the point that you made about her being a, you know, Obi-Wan, you're the only one who can help me, you're my only hope kind of person for Jean, especially because his person, his character is so much about overcoming that childhood trauma and like evolving into a person who can handle responsibility Mm -hmm. um so whenever i we got any situation with gene and malfina together i think that this show really sings um which makes me think that i just would want it to be a a plot driven you know serious show and a lot of the time it is not and i do like those moments as well but they aren't really carried through with the most tact. The delivery is a little awkward because the dialogue is kind of stilted because of the translation. Um, 
and there's a, a couple of characters who I, I think are just artifacts from the manga. Yeah, there's 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 something there. Yeah, I, you know, I I went into this show and I immediately got yelled Asia from the Kataro Kataro clan, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to talk about that. It's really uninteresting. <laughs> you know, it's there's just a, a it's just a cat girl thrown in here. Yeah, it there's there's a lot of stuff that seems like it should be cool, but is just less interesting than the personalities of Malfina and Jean and Jim. Mm-hmm. You know, I I like I said before, I think that you have a great show if you stop with James, Jim, Malfina, and Hot Ice Hilda. Or just, like, expand that part of it. Maybe she gets killed off halfway through the run, and these people who were our enemies but, you know, knew her or trusted her, and they come up. That could have been better. You know, build it. You have a solid sense of mystery at the outset. Mm -hmm. You have a solid sense of, like, otherworldly danger with all these wizards and firing spells, and you've got a gun that fires spells. And I was really hoping we could get a little bit more on the whole gun cast a spell thing about it. But it Man, got it, it got so it got many, left behind. Yeah, they put too many things in here. They segmented it up instead of crafting a cohesive narrative. I don't think it's impossible to create something that has enough serious and also enough goofy one-off episodes to it. You know, I I think that that is possible. I just don't think that this had the right blend. Mm-hmm. I um, think that's real. I think yeah. that's fair. I do think that I like the show overall, though. If if for no other reason than just like. Gene is a human adult with sexual desires that is not handled in a, in a like ridiculous way. Um and that's rare, you know, if if a if a show is handling human sexual desire so often is it a game of thrones where rape is the only form of sex um or you know uh or or berserk which more the same so it's it's rare to have a show that is serious and not gimmickry and not like silliness like a Tenchi Muyo. It's rare for a show to have a have an adult with a clear sexual component that isn't either played for laughs laughs or tragedy. I I recognize the attempt. I appreciate it. I admire it. I think after that it kind of fell off. <laughs> I I don't disagree with that. Also apparently he got down with Hilda and I'm very happy for him. Woo, I'm happy. Yeah, I'm happy for for him. She could have done better. She could have done a lot better. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, that's uh that's Outlaw Star. It's fine. It it is okay. I found some good stuff with it. I would re- you know Here's an idea. What does the show look like that is just Fred? Uh, uh Ben, it's Spice and Wolf. <laughs> it is just Spice. No, no, no. If can I can I can I do this? Space and Wolf. Can I do this? Uh, Space and Grace. No, Spice and Grace. Who's Grace? The, you know, like Will and Grace. Oh, because he's gay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spice Grace. <laughs> I, I can't follow this. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I think that a good show could be made out of like a uh, uh, somebody who is in love with a main character from a different show. Hmm. <laughs> like, like from an actual different show. Like, oh, he this this Mr. Darcy in these uh, Jane Austen novels. He's so dreamy. Why can't I have that? Yeah, Kevin from the bar. They, they did make that movie actually. Bartender Kevin. Oh, like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern kind of thing. 
No, uh, Austin Land. This woman loves Jane Austen novels so much that she spends her life savings on a vacation to be to like take part in a real world version of them, and then she actually falls in love there, and actually chafes at the like Victorian system that she's been put into. That wow, that's uh, that's some dedicated role play. I'm having a hard it's, time following the meta. It's ha- pretty good actually. How meta it gets. So wait, it's a book about a woman. It's a movie. Okay, it's a w- movie about a woman who pretends she's in a book, and then has. No, actual... no, no, it's a woman, it's a, oh my God. It's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie about a woman who likes a book, so she goes on a real vacation about books. Wait, I might have to watch it again. All right, well, that's going to be required reading for next time. Uh, she, speaking... plays, uh, she plays It's Getting Hot in Here on a grand piano. I, I, don't, I don't know how that fits in at all. <laughs> it's just something I like. Okay. Uh, speaking of next time, Zane, what are we doing? Next time, we are going to be watching Frisky Dingo, a show that I'm also not quite sure how to talk about. Yeah, that's that's a very difficult show to talk about because it's I watched uh, very a few good episodes. and very strange. And doesn't I watched fit a few episodes a real so far, format. and you can really feel where they weren't quite yet ready to make Archer. <laughs> I think that's going to be a large part of our conversation of like, like where what about Archer's restraint fixes what's wrong here and also limits it. Mm-hmm. But that will be a conversation for another day. In the meantime. Because what's after that? Uh, well, Zane, what's after that is we've got another movie segment coming up. Yep. We got we had to reorganize some things. So just go with it. The numbers don't matter. I, nothing matters. Um, and uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to have a friend of the show back on. Uh, you know him as Nick. Nick Robes from the What's With You Scooby-Doo podcast. Do I have that right? Was it a different person? Did I just forget? No, no, you've got it. Okay, cool. Um <laughs> Uh, so Nick will come back on uh, for a movie that I don't know what his familiarity with is. I assume it's pretty strong because uh, he wants to come back on for a goofy movie. Goof it up. I, I suspect that we are going to hijack the conversation and just do a walkthrough of the Goof Troop uh, SNES video game. I, I would love to talk about Goofy's place in Kingdom Hearts and how it <laughs> reflects on his uh, and how it reflects on how he raises his son. Oh, Ben, it just occurred to me that Nick loves doing impressions. Like, we're going to get a lot of yucks. <laughs> we're only going to have yucks. Yucks for the memories, I say. <laughs> Thanks for the yucks yeah. for the memories. <laughs> Thanks for the yucks for the memories. <laughs> Zane, you've nailed it. Yeah. How uh, have I, you done I it? Don't, I might have seen Goofy Movie a long time ago. I don't really remember it, but I've been told it's good. I, do, I, did, I did see it. I remember enjoying it quite a bit. Um, but perfect fodder for us to go back to because I don't remember exactly why. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good stuff coming up. Uh, please go ahead and uh, join us. And uh, if you want to take part in either uh, our conversation about a goofy movie or Frisky Dingo, you can go to our contact page at fancybat.com slash cartoncast um, or uh, just go to cartoncast.gmail.com and drop us a line. Um, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review on the page. And uh, more than anything else, please just tell your friends about the show. Was I too negative in this one? Mm, I mean, you weren't as negative as you were about it in Beavis and Butthead. Oh, yeah, that that thing. So, I mean, like, you're you're coming out of it. We're, we're coaxing you out of your hole. I, I, just, I just miss the days when we could just do, like, absolute smash hit after absolute smash hit. I feel like we're running out of shows. Is that is that accurate? No. It doesn't feel accurate. It's not accurate. I think we just picked stuff that uh, does not... Qu- does not precisely appeal to your unique sensitivities. I just like, I, 
I feel bad that I didn't appreciate this more. So I like tried to do penance by keep watching more episodes. And then like five minutes <laughs> into each one, I kept losing focus. So it's like I watched a dozen episodes. I probably paid attention to like overall two hours worth. And like I played a lot of video games while it was going on. That's okay. I mean, like if, if that is what you got from the show, then that is what you should bring to your uh, discussion of it. I didn't get that much more from it than you. But um, I, I think that, you know, you, you shouldn't force yourself to feel any differently than how you imbibed it. Like, that, that's the point of our no, show. Yeah, I'm, I'm not worrying too much about it. I just like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we can try to appeal to you a little bit more precisely. Maybe, maybe if uh, Aisha of the Kataral Kataral clan changed from a normal human into an, a full animal, as opposed to having this Beastars shit happening, maybe that would have done it for you. Oh, since we're on the subject of Kataral, uh, I don't know who needs to know this, but instead of doing Control-Alt-Delete and then exiting back out to get to the task manager, you can just hit Control-Shift-Escape. I don't go get right it. to the task manager. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I, I had no idea. It's, it saves me literal seconds. Ah, that's awesome. That's like when I found out that you could uh, put... Um, in Excel, you can fix a cell in uh, in your calculations by hitting F4. Oh, uh, do I have to hit Alt first? Nope. Nope. I'm going to try hitting Alt F4. Uh, okay. <laughs> do 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 what you need to do. <laughs> uh, uh, is there a first. way to end this without saying see you later, Space Cowboy? No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I think it's time to blow this scene. Get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jammed.